James O'Born is an American crime writer. He's written three books, published three books, Walking Money, Shockwave, and his most recent Escape Clause. Welcome to this microphone. Thank you very much. On the cover of Escape Clause, Ken Bruin, who i sorry to admit I've never heard of, but probably some big wheel in the crime fiction business. He's actually uh, the biggest in Ireland. He has a huge cult following here in the U.S., and his books are, I will admit, brilliant. During an interview with someone one day, he made that quote. So I haven't said the quote yet, but it's, James O'Born is the future of crime fiction. Why are you the future of crime fiction? Because apparently I'm not doing much in the present, so he's giving me the benefit of the doubt. He, uh, you know, being relatively new, with this only being my third book, and he's liked the books so far. And now we're, we're fast friends. We see each other usually once a, once a year, often at the International uh, Mystery Conference, which uh, last year was in Chicago, the year before Toronto. I'm a big fan of his, and I'm happy to say he's a fan of mine. And I've been lucky to get a couple of nice quotes from Elmore Leonard, who is sort of the dean of American mm-hmm. crime fiction, mm-hmm. uh, from John Sanford, who is... Uh, they give good blurb. They, they do. Uh, and they... For you, anyway. Well, uh, and I appreciate that they would even read the book. Now, the reason Sanford and a guy like W.B. Griffin did initially was that we have the same editor. Uh, but now I'm very friendly with both of them. You still haven't asked the question, though. Why am I the future of crime fiction? Uh, I, I guess he likes the trend in my books where they have a lot of humor in them. Life is not quite as bleak as a lot of crime writers make it out to be. Uh, there's a lot of funny things that happen, even in the world of crime, provided you're willing to be there and see them and accept them for what they are. So black humor. Very black humor. This is the future, though. I mean, Dashiell Hammett was pretty funny. Maybe unintendedly funny because some of the little quips and qu- they're just maybe they're so campy you now that. But regardless, I was happy he gave me the quote. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of little, little quips and, and quotes, uh, we were uh, talking just before the interview about uh, knives, people that carry them, and, and you happen to carry a knife. Uh, well, when I'm around my house in my area. Just because it's convenient if you need to open something or, you know, it has a screwdriver on it. It has, it's just another tool. But not to kill anyone. But. I, I I wouldn't contemplate, no cop would probably contemplate trying to stab one, someone with a knife. And you, uh, you are a former, former cop. No, I'm actually a current, uh, working cop. Didn't know that. I am. I'm an agent with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which is the investigative arm of our state police. So you can't support yourself doing this yet? Uh, actually, if I uh, if I had to, I, I could. The question is, I have young kids. If Putnam decided in two years, you know, this just didn't work out, then I'm stuck having given up one of the considered the best jobs in law enforcement. It's interesting. It's reasonably well paid. Phenomenal benefits. And I'm in Florida. Come on. Why is it so interesting? Uh, we are non-uniformed. I basically dress like this for work. We get involved in a wide range of investigations. You can develop specialties. The administration is tremendously supportive. And I'm not just saying that because I want to keep my job. And the books sort of support what I'm saying. As you see, there's a working FDLE agent, and in 
He's involved in different cases in every book. In this one, he's involved in the investigation of a death inside of a Florida State prison. So it's uh, it's based on your real life experience. Uh, I do tell people an odd thing happened after I wrote this book, and the book was already in its advanced reader's copy form. So I can I can back this up with the timeline in October of last year. So the book, the advanced copy of the book, had already been out two months. Uh, I was called to a state prison to investigate a death that is very similar to the death that the main character in this book investigates. And it was uh, it was a freaky experience. Uh, frankly, walking in there, thinking, man, if this had happened a year ago, I would have had a lot of stuff I could use in this book. That's uh, life copying art, and you're regretting the fact that <laughs> you didn't live before the art because you think the book would have been better if you had? Well, no, not necessarily. Actually, I might have been hampered by trying to use too many details from this one prison. Uh, and what happens at many of the scenes that I show up to now, uh, one of the state prison inspectors said to me when I introduced myself, hey, are you the guy that writes the books? And uh, I'm very popular among cops. It's very rare for me to be in a, on a scene where someone doesn't realize that I'm a writer. He and I talked about the book for a while, and as we were walking out to my car, he said, when's your next book come out? He said, uh, he said I like the jokes you made about the FBI in your first book. And I said, well, you know, I appreciate that. And when we got out to my car, I handed him an informational postcard that Putnam gave me, gave me, and it shows the prison on the front. It's obviously a book about prison. And as I watched the color drain out of his face, I said to him, you may not want to rush out and buy this one. Speaking of disparaging remarks about the FBI and others, uh, this is page 16 of the uh, escape clause. It's a, it's a quote, I guess, about a, a commission or, or something. The state attorney's office, perhaps. Gann nodded, but didn't seem to want comments at this point. Quote, that's true. Their first priority usually is not the public, but rather to make it look like they're doing something. Do you follow me? And that, this is fiction. Sometimes we'll play to people's perceptions of stuff. Uh, sometimes, and I, I, I hold this perception, you know, politicians don't care, well, I'm not, not all politicians, certainly not ones that could fire me at this point in my career, but uh, some politicians don't care if you actually do what you're saying you do, as long as it looks like you're doing what you say you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the point I was getting across. And even the jokes I make about the FBI, which is the only law enforcement a agency that I make fun of, they're all they're just that, jokes. You know, I've said a number of times the FBI is a fine agency, they do fine work. But like any agency, not 100% of their agents are top-notch. They've always got doofuses in it, just like anyone else. The difference is, we accept that, we joke about it, whereas they get defensive. The guys at the FBI that don't like my books are exactly the guys that I'm making fun of. In my, book. Uh, my friends at the FBI that think my books are hysterical, that's great, there's no problem. We talked a bit about the fact that you find uh, your work very interesting. I, I still didn't get to the, to the core of what it is that you find so interesting. Is it sort of the detective work or the research that's required or I mean basically are you you're living a sort of like you live a detective novel? Is that is that why you no, love it so much? If I were to write what police really do, no one would read it. It's not what you would call exciting. Real police work is hard work. But every day is something different. What is it, though? What, so what is the hard work? You might have to sit and watch someone waiting for them to leave their house for two or three days before you can really get them. 
what do you do in all that time? Now I sit and think about what I might write or to try and capture that. It's one thing to see it in a movie where a guy's sitting in a car. You know, the sun goes up, the sun goes down, the sun goes up. You lived it in 30 seconds. But if you were to really lay it out, you know, in that time, do they go into the fact that he's got to run out and get something? He's got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. They cut out all that stuff, which they yeah. should. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so it's a lot of waiting around. There. A lot of waiting. Uh, it's a lot of patience. All the good, really good cops I've known through my life were patient. Some were patient and aggressive, which you can be. You can't ever be impatient because things happen as they happen. Well, and you can't be impatient because you may pull a trigger and it's going to kill an innocent you, person. You, you never know. Although the incidents of a U.S. law enforcement officer inadvertently shooting someone is so astronomically low you'd have a better chance of winning the lottery somewhere than that. Perhaps you could give us a quick synopsis of the plot behind Escape Clause. In Escape Clause the main character, Bill Tasker who's a younger, 34 year old agent with Florida Department of Law Enforcement starts out his favorite activity spending time with his daughters takes one of his daughters to the bank on a, takes a day off during the week in the course of their visit to the bank, the bank is robbed, which is every cop's fear is you're going to be somewhere and someone does something that you have to take action and your kids are running. Uh, the only time it ever happened to me uh, was uh, when my kids were very little. Right before Christmas, we were going to the zoo to see the zoo decorated in Christmas lights near our house. And as we drive down the road, I saw a guy grab a woman by the neck, punch her hard, and then shove her to the ground and kind of walk away. And then he stopped and walked back to her, and I had to pull over with my wife saying, oh, what are you going to do? So you don't want to take that action. Tasker takes the action and has to shoot and kill one of the robbers. But he cleverly sends his little daughter away. If you know, and I, I'm glad you picked up on that. He also tries to move away from the crowd, so when the guy, if the guy turns and is able to fire at him, he doesn't have people next to him. Mm-hmm. And that's stuff that we train on. I mean, I, I'm always cognizant of that when I'm around people. And what would happen, with, you always try to get to where there's a solid background. Uh, so he goes, he has the shooting, and ultimately his boss feels he's been through quite a bit with the shooting, with some previous cases, which are talked about in the other books, briefly. There's been a, a death at a prison, a state prison, in one of the rural sections of Palm Beach County, a little north of Miami. He should go there for a couple of weeks, take his time investigating this murder. What could happen to you up there in this little backwoods section of Florida? And he finds out there's all kinds of things going on in little, little towns. And he gets involved in way too much of it. Uh, and as a result, the correctional officers that work at the prison that he's going resent him and take action against him through through inmates, through different ways. Uh, he uncovers a plot within the prison, and he's also dealing with someone that he put in prison who happens to be, when he arrested them, this is where they actually are serving their sentence at this Manatee Correction. The best review I've gotten on the Tribune Wire. Um, Sorry, the Tribune Wire? Yeah, the, uh, it was for St. Petersburg? No, it was the Sun Sentinel, which is part of the Tribune. Which is the Fort Lauderdale paper, and she uh, she took great care to explain the novel without giving away any of the plot points. So I hate it was such a great review, and not only that it was positive, but that she didn't give away all of these twists that I tried to build into it. That I'd hate to give them away now. For sure, don't don't of course not. Uh, but just just to give away enough to entice all our listeners to read it, buy it, then read it. It, the, the book is actually geared towards Canadians. They would love it. Well, actually, that's a point I want to bring up. The first paragraph 
<laughs> Pascar and his daughter, and she asks a question about Juma Sudian, the, uh, the license plate, the Quebec license plate. And uh, why on earth did you put that in there? Well, it's part of Florida life. I mean, I live on the east coast of Florida. You know, we developed our own little system of Canadian jokes, just like their U.S. jokes up there. But one of them is because sometimes we feel French Canadians, their driving habits are different than ours. <laughs> hey, we, we feel the same way, the English Canadians. Well, and, and that's why, you know, what does Je me souviens mean? We used to say it means I brake for no apparent reason, mm -hmm. or I drive slow in the left lane. Uh, I actually had to look it up to see what it really meant. Uh, and then when she says, he, he tells her it means uh, I will remember. She says, remember what? Obviously, any person of French descent should remember, don't start a war with the English. It never worked. turns out well. Oh, no, actually, that wouldn't go down too well with the Quebec's uh, French-speaking audience. It's more, I remember how badly we got screwed. <laughs> And we want to separate because of it. Uh, that might be one one take on it. But apparently, it comes out of a poem. It's got nothing to do with. Uh, oh yeah. With that. But um, but anyway. So uh, the books are not just strictly police books. They try to show that cops have personal lives too, and that's the problem. Is trying to balance the two, and it encompasses all forms of, of your life in uh, South Florida. So is that sort of what you want to do? You sort of want to put a human face to the police? You're, what's your motive? To tell an interesting story because they're in you and you feel the need, urge to get them on paper so you can share these interesting stories with, with other people? That's that's put better than I, I could have put it. In fact, I am, uh, and it sounds a little hokey, I'm compelled to write every day. I, yeah. And there's no reason to Just be like a writer. Kafka. Kafka couldn't, that was his life, living was writing, writing was living. And many people compare me to him and Schopenhauer. No, actually, actually that's not true. I'm the only one that does. You could have said here. Or, you're not quite as angst-ridden anyway, or persecuted. And that's one of the, the pleasures of being an author and being with a big house like Putnam and have, is that I really don't get worked up about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that could happen to me, but by writing a bad book, it's not like, you know, I'm going to get beaten by someone. At worst, you know, I get some bad reviews or people don't buy the book. So I do recognize that although writing is important to me, it's not necessarily saving the world that you know, some people are doing. I'm not, I'm not curing cancer. I'm not developing a clean source of energy for the world. I'm writing books about police. And it, it gives people a chance to escape and get a kick out of it. And I also like to think that the books are about, uh, if there's one female, it is about karma. And you see that the, the main guy, bad things may happen to him but things tend to work out because he's a decent guy. Mm -hmm. He's got a good moral compass. He knows what's right and wrong. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely. But when he makes a mistake, he always tries to correct that mistake. And that's all you can really ask of people. That's what I try to get across. I'm compelled to write every day. I'm not comfortable until I've, I've written. And it may not be one of the novels. I write articles. I write different things, some things on the web. I just have a feeling of satisfaction once I've written a thousand to fifteen hundred words for the day. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. It's it's uh, this desire to create, and it's it's a feeling of accomplishment and uh, sharing. I think sharing the thrill of sharing your thoughts with other human beings. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. And when I get things right on the page, 
I know it. You know, I feel pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I'll try different things on this book. I tried. Um, it was each book, even though it has the same characters, has an entirely different feel to it. One is a uh, uh, the first one is more of a crime caper, you know, money changing hands. The second one is a straight up police story from beginning to end. The cop is not under any cloud of criminal suspicion, although he's made an error in his police work in trying to correct it. And then this one, I, I tried to do things, uh, I tried to combine a true mystery where you don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, and my editor read it and said, you know, it would be better if we knew who the bad guys were right up front, rather than having them unfold. So I did quite a bit of rewriting on that. So although I thought I might have had it right the first time, when I finished it, after he, he had me rewrite it, then I thought, okay people are going to understand this more easily and that's what I'm looking for. I shouldn't have to work at a book. In some cases you do but you should be able to enjoy it from beginning to end. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that but... Uh, There's some books you have to work at. I mean, I, I agree. I really want to. I mean, for right. example uh, Don Quixote it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge but it's, it's a lovely, funny, funny book. Right. But it's a challenge. And I'm not... Uh, the vast majority of readers are not. It's just like the vast majority of moviegoers don't necessarily want to be challenged They or, or ha- have a big emotional impact made upon them. They simply want to sit back and relax as if they're watching TV, except there's a bit more interaction, a bit more of their imagination involved. And I'm not trying to minimize my book saying that they're light. Or they actually do have a message. And I'm not comparing it to the classics either. It's not Don Quixote. But... Uh, I want you to be compelled by the book and then surprised as the twists come. To the point that when, and I've had, especially in the first book where I put one twist at the end, that people to this day still come up to me and say, they're either, what happened? Because I leave it a little open-ended. I always do, because if you're smart enough to read the book, you're smart enough to figure out what happened. Or people say, oh, I can't believe it. They're actually angry, which is good because then they read the book and they understand, hey, you should be a little angry at that. Uh, and that's... Uh, actually, I get probably more comments now as the books come out and paperback and more and more people read them. And I do more events. People come up to me, and it's not the first time when they buy the book. They've read two books and they buy the third one. And uh, I get a big kick out of their comments. So you're connecting, you're sharing, you're getting feedback. I, I just... Which is in, in, enriching your life and theirs. Absolutely. This is a busy time of year for me. When a book comes out, I leave most weekends. You know, I'm off either at an event raising money for libraries or uh, last week, as we were saying, I, I taught a class in fiction. Damn, that sounds like fun. What you're it, doing. it is. Now, it's a little tiring in that during the week I'm back on my regular job. And then, uh, you know, I, I have got children. Okay. And that's the thing is my youngest is a girl, and she's involved in cheerleading now. And some of the cheerleading competitions... My good Lord, they take all weekend for 30 seconds of her being up on stage. So that on the odd weekend when I'm not off doing one of these things, I'm with her somewhere, you know, watching cheerleading for you know, Bring it six to ten hours right now. The movie is very accurate. It's wicked, eh? <laughs> uh, Now, she's in a less competitive group, and she it's worthwhile when she's up there and she's smiling every second she's up there. Uh, and I have no problem with that. And I actually enjoy it. This I get back from this part of my tour Saturday night at about, uh, I guess I'll get home around 9. And Sunday I told her I would take her to cheerleading practice from 12 to 4. So pretty much my afternoon 
Yeah, I will take a small computer with me, and I'll, I'll work for a couple hours there. Uh, but it's yeah, maybe doing some sort of like crime mystery around cheerleading. Around cheerleading. Uh, the, the, uh, actually, I you probably won't. <laughs> Do you write your your books with the intention of uh, getting picked up by a movie uh, contract? I don't write them with that intention. I do. Uh, but you dream of it? Oh, I'd love to get picked up. Uh, in the first book, in particular, uh, you know, I almost have to play down the next person that comes up to me and says, "Oh, this could be a movie," without actually buying it for an option. May have to be smacked. But uh, the second book, not knife, but smacked. Not knife. Knifing is. It's a lot of work, and it's very, very messy business. Smacking, if you do it right, you can walk away, and no one's really upset about it. Uh, and the second book on a, in a review, they compared it to a Jerry Bruckheimer movie, The Ending. And I thought, oh, this will work. Someone will see this. But as yet, I, I haven't sold an option. How does that work? Do your Putnam, just Putnam uh, sort of uh, help you out and try and get you... No, I have an agent. Oh, you have, a, yeah. you have, a, you have an, an agent that tries to get your your novels, specifically tries to get your novels picked up by a, a, a movie company. Right. That's their job, as opposed to getting you various signings and, and uh, rights. I have two agents. Two, I have, two different I have agents. a literary agent right. who handles things related to the book, and then I have a film agent who handles yeah. things related to Hollywood. Okay. And and also, if... Uh, but that guy's not doing such a great job. I'll make no comment. Uh, but uh, I do have, occasionally, someone will contact one or both of them saying, we read this book, uh, you know, would you be interested in us showing it to this studio or whatever? I just hear about it kind of peripherally. I'm certain that if someone sold it, certainly one of them would get on the phone and say, "Hey, guess what?" Yeah, but aren't you aren't you motivated to get on a plane and go to L.A. and say, "Hey, look at my book"? I'm not sure that I would have any more impact than anyone else. Okay. No, I recognize it's a big world out there. There's, I read. I'm a voracious reader. I read a ton of books, and about every fourth book I read, I think. Dang, this would be a great movie, mm-hmm. and it never is. Yeah. So why should mine be any different? It's funny though that when I was a teenager, and this ties in with the fact that we're sitting in Haslam's bookstore in St. Petersburg because uh, yesterday uh, my daughter and I were here, and uh, we found out that you're going to be you were going to be here the next day, and uh, I collect first editions, uh, modern first editions, and I came across a, a copy of Jaws. Oh, Peter Benchley. Peter Benchley just died, apparently. And, uh, no, not apparently. He no, did. he did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll be looking for the for first edition of that. Now, I, I spoke with the, the Ray, who owns the place here. He uh, every, every book goes through his hands. Oh, him and his wife. Or his wife. Very bright guy. Yeah, yeah. Everything goes through his hands. And uh, he didn't put uh, first edition on it. He put early edition because he wasn't sure if it was a first. And I'm pretty sure it is. We just got 695 on the cover. And, but uh, but anyway, I recall reading that when I was a teenager and loving it. I do too. And uh, and thinking at the time, boy, wouldn't this make a good movie? How come they haven't made a good a movie out of it? And of course, it's turned out to be like the biggest blockbuster ever. I may have been the only person who's ever read Jaws, and I read Jaws too. Uh, I never even heard of Jaws too. Jaws too was novel, and it, it uh, was fairly similar. It might have been a novel written from the movie Jaws Two, uh, which was originally directed by a guy who did uh, the TV series Night Gallery, which was popular, you know, in the early seventies. Uh, Gene Swartz, uh, 
so yeah, I'm just trying to throw out some of my odd knowledge. No, this right is now. good. This is good. I mean, the movie buff and uh, an author, it's just, uh, can relate to and uh, I'm bonding big time with you here. Jaws, I may have seen more than any other movie. I still watch it in its entirety whenever it's on TV. And I, I often force my children to watch parts of it. Well, one of my favorite actors, Robert Shaw, was in it. He did the greatest. You know, he was blonde in one of the James Bond movies. Which one? Um, that's that's excellent. It's a Sean Connery one. And uh, it would have to be after Dr. No. Uh, so it would be... Uh, and it would be before Diamonds Are Forever. I'm trying to... Oh, man. You're using your detective... Yeah, I, I, I should be able to name it. If I uh, uh, come back to me on that. Okay. He also was uh, Custer in one of the best Custer movies, uh, Custer of the West. Good. He also in uh, one of the greatest war movies ever, Battle of the Bulge. Yep. Uh, he was uh, he was a bad guy that because he was a Nazi. It's hard and always hard to be a good guy when you're a Nazi. Uh, I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to go out on a limb on that one. Mm-hmm. Say there's never been any such thing as a good Nazi. But you knew where he was coming from. Where he, all he cared about was war. He wanted to extend it. And when he tells his aide, the sergeant who lost a son already in the war, when he says, "Do you think we have a chance to win?" and Robert Shaw says, "Win? No, but we could extend it a few years." Then you know exactly where this guy's coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's a very similar character to Robert Duvall in uh, Apocalypse Now, where he says to uh, Martin Sheen, "You know, someday this war is going to end." And you're waiting for him for the, you know, the follow-up, mm-hmm. and we'll all be better off. But he just says, someday mm-hmm. this war is going to end, and he walks off. Hey, this for it. Yeah. He loves the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Yeah. So movies, uh, yeah, it seems to me if, if you are a movie buff, which you are, to get picked up and have a movie made of one of your books would be like the ultimate dream come true for you. We were talking about odds earlier, odds of winning the lottery, odds of being shot inadvertently by a police officer. I think the odds of a movie being made are right up there. Now you're being humble, but I mean, let, let, let's face this: you've got uh, you've got Elmore Leonard, who uh, who's got who's got a blurb on, on the back cover here saying that Jim Bourne is the real thing. And Elmore Leonard is the the Godfather or the uh, Get Shorty, a great movie. It's actually when I met him uh, when he was writing Get Shorty, and he had he had a couple of questions about situations and guns, and I gave him a little advice, and that was the first movie I helped him on. Did he? Why did he come to you? Uh, I always try to tell people that he sought out the finest law enforcement agency in the country. Okay. But in fact, uh, he was a friend of my dad's. A friend of your dad's. <laughs> okay. So sort of nepotism. Right. Uh, yeah. he, actually, he, it was a, a friend of a friend of my father's. Okay. Uh, in Palm Beach County, a judge that he was a friend with. My dad was an attorney and a judge. And uh, we met at, at this fellow's house one night. And uh, just started talking, you know. And he was very popular then, not like he is now, where he's super wildly popular. And I read, I had read his books, and realized, hey, these are really good. And I like the quirky stuff. I, I'm not real big on the straight-ahead thrillers. Uh, I like that some bad guys are funny, and some good guys are stupid. That's well, real. That's real. I mean, it's 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 not black and white. It's not caricature. And I agree, absolutely. And I always tell well, that's people that's in depth too. I mean, you want your characters to have some complexity. In my uh, my novels, all my characters, I picture someone I know, and that way it's easier to write. And since some of the people I know are dumbasses, some of my characters do stupid things. 
One of the things I like, in fact, in, in your book is that you actually make reference to one of uh, Elmore Leonard's books out of sight. Uh, well, it was based on uh, on a case that I worked on when the guys uh, tunneled out of Blade uh, Prison. And uh, I got in Dutch in touch with the guy who was the case agent in charge of the investigation. Dutch is his nickname? Is, yeah, Elmore Leonard's nickname. I try to I make reference to a lot of books. I mean, not, not too, too many, because I don't want to just become self-referential. But, like, uh, W.B. Griffin is a friend of mine. So I have his books play an integral role later in the in the book. In the hopes that he uh, has yours. Uh, no, no. I mean, his books wouldn't play just because he's a friend of mine and he gets a kick out of it. Okay. It's funny uh, when I was reading. The, I couldn't help thinking, but think of the Shawshank Redemption. Well, a fine movie uh, in a good, deep, not a stereotypical depiction of prison life. Uh, and I might add, I learned when I was working at, a, at a, investigating a crime at a prison, very popular among correctional officers. And but the library plays a role in it right. quite, quite nicely. This is my own. I didn't try to copy anything. You know, I just, just try to make my own uh, my own story, and people will accept it or reject it on their own. I like the way that at the start of the book, you, there, there's sort of a series of vignettes flipping back and forth, uh, introducing characters... Uh, uh, I'm reminded a bit of Raymond Carver's shortcuts. Um, but I also, uh, I assume basically what you're what you're doing here, and again, I, I couldn't help but thinking of a movie. You're sort of, you're giving these vignettes, you're introducing different characters, and then, uh, then slowly their lives will intersect. Well, and that's an excellent interpretation of it. What I try to do is I write from a different point of view in each scene. So, although most scenes belong to my main character, Tasker, the, the, of course, the bad guys will have their scenes. And it's from their perspective. Because remember, a bad guy doesn't realize he's a bad guy. He's the hero of his own story. So he's going to see things differently than a, uh, the real good guy in the story. Well, yeah, a psychopath doesn't really right. uh, exactly like that. And it's funny, you know, you, George Bush thinks that he's doing the world an enormous favor. It's like the disposition to virtue is much more dangerous than the disposition to vice because this, there's nothing thwarting his... Well, and I will say that much like a family, I will never criticize one of my family members in public. I will not take a stand against my president in public. Uh, I understand what you're saying. No, I'm actually not uh, anywhere near as rapidly anti-Bush as, as, as many of my countrymen and many uh, people in the rest of the world. But I still think that, getting back to our point, <laughs> our, our criminals often... They don't realize... They don't realize they're doing it wrong, and so that's it. They don't have a conscience that's reining them in. And, and what I uh, try to do with the, the different perspectives on the book is I'll take one books are geared around several bigger scenes. And in one book, in, in Walking Money, they end up in a shootout. All the bad guys, all the good guys in one place. By viewing that same scene from five perspectives, people start to understand what cops have to go through. When you investigate a shooting, everyone who saw that shooting has an entirely different story. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to separate fact from fiction. and Not that people are intentionally lying, they just had a different vantage point. Yeah, I mean, there's no such thing as the truth. And that's what I try to get across. That's why there's different perspectives. And you may know the motive why someone did something, whereas a cop looking at it does not know the motive. And that's all the difference in the world. Is there a criminal intent or not? 
uh, in this case, there's a shooting where there's a correctional officer. Well, from the cop's perspective, that was a perfectly good shooting. But when you see what really happened from the correctional officer's perspective, you realize, okay, that man should not have been shot. Or, you know, maybe from karma's perspective, he deserved to be shot. But from a legal perspective, he did not deserve to be shot. And that's what I'm trying to get across. It's reminiscent of uh, Lawrence uh, Durrell's uh, The Alexandria Quartet. The same story is told by... Right. Or, and Kejimuska, where it's told by everyone's perspective. Come through, you know, it, it, it's done over and over and over again. And I appreciate you continuing to compare it to movies, and I hope that you do, and tell your friends to do that. But in fact, it's just how I, I prefer to see things. Occasionally, I'll write short stories, and I'll write them from one perspective, and it's an entirely different feel. Uh, I, I like telling the bigger story. I like telling other people's points of view, and that's why. You know, that's just real being an author, a bit like God. In a way, although I try not to be like. Uh, uh, Tom Clancy, omniscient, where everyone, you know what everyone's thinking, and in each scene you only know what the person from that perspective is thinking. He doesn't know anyone else's thoughts, and you don't either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you find that, in talking to authors, uh, many of them will tell me that they, they really don't know where the story's going to end? You know, I uh, every book's been different. Generally, I know where I'm starting and roughly where I'm going to end up with three or four points in between that I'm going to reach. But to say that I don't know where it's going to end would probably be uh, incorrect. Okay. Uh, I do have a pretty good idea where I want it to end. Uh, so you're control free? Not, no. See, no. You live in a world of extremes. No. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't say these interviews <laughs> in, in, uh, I'm not a... Uh, I'm not a control freak, but, you know, and that's not to say I won't change the ending. If, for instance, in this book, I had a main character who was a male all through the book, and at the end I realized he could be a female and he'd be a lot. It would add dimension to everything. And, uh, in fact, I can remember I'm a runner, and often in the morning when I'm running and my mind's clear, and I'm just roughly going over the book. I'm not reading it. I'm just going over it. Something will hit me. And I can point to the spot near my house where he should be a woman. And I just went back at the beginning, and it really wasn't that big, although it made the close scenes with Tasker much more interesting. Because mm-hmm. now he's got a sexual tension with her. It didn't even change her name. But it made the end of the book significantly different. It's interesting, yeah, because I noticed that uh, he sort of was a bit of a ladies' man, or he's been divorced for about a year. His his ex-wife is, is seeing someone, and uh, uh, I like the way, again, it, of course, sex sells. A couple of different women, sort of. Yeah, but he's never, he's hooked on his old wife, on his ex-wife. And I don't want to give anything away, but in none of the books is he particularly lucky when it comes to ladies. Okay. Uh, and that's real life. You know, it depends. Uh, like if you're a, a, a radio host who interviews authors, that's one of the reasons I became a, a radio host was because we tend to track the chicks. Yeah, it's like my poetry is okay. It's not that great. Uh, I don't play a musical instrument. Radio show host on books, you just can't beat them all. Well, well, no, but it's it's not working as well as the others might. But that this is all I've got. It's funny that. What about being an author? Like, you're married, correct? I am married. Too happily married. And I'll say, my wife is Donna. And that's the only one, and she knows that her name is Donna. Essentially, yeah. she's his ex-wife. I don't alter much about her, and actually, anything I use her maiden name, and she said, 
And I said, do you care if I keep writing about scratch like this? And she said, do I have to go back to work full time? And I said, no. She said, I don't care what you write. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And she gets a kick out of it. You what know, about the chicks, though? Uh, are they hitting on you more now? Or? Well, it depends. The, I find I'm quite popular with the 65 to 80 year old group because I do a lot of friends in library groups and they're the ones that really support libraries so they appreciate when I come out there uh, I'm so waiting the gray hair blue ridge crowd is, is hitting on you? Uh, they may not be hitting on me but at least women are talking to me which is a nice change are they reading you though? Like I would think that men would be. Uh, no, my books are very popular with women. With women, because I don't. Women are not victims in my books. I mean, in this book, maybe for the first time, there there is violence that involves a woman. But uh, I mean, it's there is likely to be a victim as a man in my books, and in many of my books, they are in fact uh, the aggressors in many instances. Do you think your books are uh, better than Elmore Leonard's? No, absolutely not. I can say that categorically. He, uh, he's the master, and uh, I, I went. I often consider myself a graduate of the Elmore Leonard School of Writing because I read all of his books, and he gave me so much advice on my uh, early manuscripts that you know I pick up a lot of his subtleties in it, or I try to. So the student will never surpass the teacher. No, and anyone who who comes up and says, "Oh, you know, my books are better than Elmore Leonard's," that's a guy who you probably don't want to read his books. I've been speaking with James O'Born, the author of the recently published Escape Clause. Thank you very much for insights into your work. My pleasure. Thank you very much.